welcome to this broadcast, the English language broadcast podcast that nobody asked for. My name's David. And my name is the Lightning Seeds featuring Bedeal and Skinner. Yay! We're going to have a bit of a burst of that later, I think. Um, because <laughs> is, it, is it coming home? <laughs> well, that's because this episode is the first of our seasonal specials, and it is about the checks at Euro 96. Hooray! The tournament in which it was supposed to come home. Spoilers, didn't. <laughs> This is uh, this is the one of these specials where I get to sit back and relax for a lot of it. Yes, because I have four pages of scripts to read out. It was a it was a slow day at work. But so. don't let that put you off, listener. <laughs> He's very entertaining. You haven't heard it yet, but I, I believe in you. Uh, before we started recording, you said this was your first real memory of watching football because you were six, seven. Not really a memory of watching it. So, see, this is probably one of the the most recent football like big football tournament that I have very much no recollection of at all I was very much France 98 was right my first sorry one. yeah France 98 I've, was yours yeah. I've seen the important bits so Scotland bits yeah, but that's there aren't really, that many of those. Oh, I mean, got, I mean, I saw England. Obviously, England crashing out. It was glorious, but yeah. <laughs> uh, and also England absolutely stuffing your boys with one of the one of the best goals the European Championships has ever seen. We might get way. back. We might get onto that if we have a time. <laughs> might Maybe. we though? All right, okay. Because um, it was my first um, proper moment of kind of realization that I really really like football because. I may have mentioned before, maybe I didn't, maybe I did. Uh, I'm not from a very footballing family. Neither of my parents are into it. My brother sort of, well, my brother played for his school and and such, but as as fans, we weren't. And Euro 96 was the first time I realised, you know, this is quite a big deal, this football thing. Did you buy the single? I did buy the single, actually. It was one of the first CDs I bought, probably. And um, it was actually, it was the tournament that, that, that got my brother into goalkeeping because uh-huh. he fell in love with Petr Kolba, who mm-hmm. we're going to be talking a lot about. He didn't know any of the Czech players. Well, n- neither of us knew any of the Czech players. But he decided Petr Kolba was who he wanted to be when he grew up, which is very nice. That is nice. Yeah. So, let's dive right into that after this little bit of a break. So, uh, Euro 96 was held in England, as most of you will probably know. Um, uh, four groups, um, with four teams each, and the Czechs had a very, very tough group, actually. They were drawn with Germany, Italy, and Russia, mm-hmm. which was a very nasty one. Uh, Italy had been World Cup finalist two years previously, of course, and had a team containing, well, Maldini, Costa Cota, Ravanelli, Del Piero, Di Matteo, Chiesa, Casaraghi, Albertini... And some 20-year-old centre-half called Alessandro Nesta. I don't really know what became uh, of him, but no he, he, was, he probably something something good. He came along for the ride. Um, all these players were in their mid to late 20s, and they were rightly considered one of the favourites because any forward line involving Casaraghi, Chiesa, Ravanelli, etc. Yeah. is, you know, Del yeah. Piero is fairly formidable. Shock, shocked at an Italian team being at least in its late 20s. <laughs> well, yes, exactly, of course. Um Elsewhere in the group, we had Germany, and they were, well, 
Germany. Okay. Um, a squad containing such names as Matthias Zammer, Oliver Kahn, Jürgen Klinsmann, Andreas Müller, and a big, bustling, slightly journeyman striker named Oliver Bierhoff, who, despite being 28, had only played five times for Germany before this, uh, but had just come off the back of scoring 16 goals for Udinese in Serie A after having joined the previous summer from Ascoli, and we will be talking about him in slightly more depth later. He's very important. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, Russia, no mugs in that group either. Uh, No sort of... No massive names, but... I have a fun fact about Russia, yeah, go on. David, um, because I had... About the team or the country? About Russia. Um, this is really fascinating, because I was doing my own little research bits right. and stuff, because while you were doing the, the checks and stuff, I had mm-hmm. a little look into... Um, refresh my memory about that Scotland um, team. And Scotland were in the um, qualification for Euro 96 with Russia. Yeah. Um, going into Euro 96, Russia were ranked third in the world. Whoa, really? May 1996, they were third. That's incredible. And I would have had, like, no knowledge at all of that. No, like that, uh, I, that, players, that's really surprising uh, to me as well. I don't know if it was, like, a USA thing where they just kept beating, like, minnows, but... I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I don't know how that happened. I mean, you know, considering the events of the last week, I can't imagine Russia cheating at any form of sport, can you? No? No. It's More about my hot or not later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, so they, uh, well, Russia was the third team in their group. Um, they were able to call on players like Valery Karpin, Viktor Anopko, Andrei Konchelskis were still oh, large at this point. Uh, football manager favourite Vladimir Bestchasnik. Uh-huh. Um, he was only 22, but on his way to virtual glory. <laughs> and one of. Being the massive football hipster I am, one of my all-time favourite players, Alexander Mostovoy, the wonderful Alexander Mostovoy, who was at Strasbourg at that time, but then got a move to uh, Celta Vigo and spent eight years there being an an angry, cultured cult hero yeah. in the centre of Celta's midfield. Mm-hmm. I assume that the Russia team is quite like a lot of Russia teams that goes to these championships and that they're heavy, heavily domestically based. Surprisingly like CSKA not, and so actually. On. Surprisingly no. not, no. There is wow. a nice scattering. They are the team in the group with, actually, I think the, the fewest domestic-based players. I can actually see that with Italy and Germany. Yeah. Um... Yeah, Germany's backbone actually was built on the mighty sides of Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. Mm. It was about 80% those two sides because Munich are the giants that they are and Dortmund uh, had just won the European Cup, I think. Mm-hmm. So they had an incredible side. Yeah, and I, yeah but yes, they did because that was... Um, uh, what's his name? Paul, Paul Lambert. Paul Lambert. Dortmund, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was a sprinkling of Werder Bremen and Eintracht Frankfurt thrown in, but it was mainly those two. Italy was Juve, Lazio, Parma and AC Milan because it was the building of that great Parma side mm-hmm. with Aspria and Buffon who, who would come through about two or three years later. Russia was pretty diverse, but they still had players from Spartak, CSKA, but also uh, Dimitri Karin at Chelsea, uh, Konchelskis at Everton and uh, Real Sociedad mm-hmm. and players like that. So. Konchelskis later to play for Rangers as well. Yeah, of course. Uh, the Czechs, on the other hand, I'm going to show you their squad list here. I've actually got it printed out. Oh, good. We have, Can we close to the mic for this? Yes, we have a fair selection of slightly odd, slightly odd uh, you know, we've got your normal Sparta, Slavia... <laughs> Durnovica is... Durnovica is in there. Standing out very much for me. Yeah. 
Servette FC of Switzerland, uh-huh. uh, home of Václav Nemeček there. Um, team that Aberdeen beat 6-0 in, uh, on the way to um, a, a big European Cup run. It might have been the Cup Winners' Cup. Okay. Uh, two at Kaiserslautern, one at Schalke. And uh, the man, the legend, Pavel Zernicek, who is mm-hmm. keeping golf in Newcastle United at that point. But mainly a very home-based side. And yeah, I think Russia is definitely the most the most non-domestic mm-hmm. side there. Um, so I've actually scheduled breaks into these little into these little bits. So we're gonna have a small musical interlude, and when we get back, I've got a quiz for you, Sam. Uh-oh. So okay, here we go. Let's have a little break. We're gonna eat some of our we've got beer snacks. What are these? We've got Thai chili rice crackers. Tis the season, Sam. Fa la 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 la. So we've got a little quiz. Uh, as I said, the the finals took place in England, mm-hmm. and they were held at eight different stadia stroke stadiums. I'm still not entirely sure how we're pluralizing that. What the what the house style is? Mm-hmm. Stadia stadiums. What do you think? Stadia. I I I like stadia. I think it's it's proper. <laughs> makes me sound makes me sound like an intellectual. <laughs> uh, so yeah, eight stadia in England that hosted games. You, and I, I'm, I'm to name these, am I? That, that's that's right. Christ. All right. All right. Wembley. Good. Villa Park. Good. Old Trafford. Yes. Anfield. Yes. Now it gets trickier. Right. Um, St. James's Park. Very good. It's five. <sighs> Count the, the dead yeah. air time, um, listener. The- um Weirdly, it's a peculiarly northern tournament. I think something about me says Middlesbrough, but it's not. I'm thinking no. of 1966 yeah. when there were games there. Yeah, that was when um, uh, North Korea were based in Middlesbrough. Okay, I, uh, I might just go for an absolute mad one and say like Ewood Park. Not Ewood oh, Park. Oh no, um, it'll be um, Le- Leeds. Yes. It'll be in Leeds. Elland Road. Elland Road, Road. Yep. that's what you call. Yep. Um, that's six. Uh, Valley Parade. Valley, Valley, no, <laughs> that's before it had its refit, right? Yeah, it was. Um, it it had it had it had recently been on fire, so probably not. Um, two more northern. Yeah, well, northern. one one Midlands. All right, so one of them will probably be in Nottingham, or yes. Okay, so, so it'll be Forest's ground, the city ground, city that's ground, right. yeah, and in Nottingham. The other one is I. I want every bone in my body wants it to be Carlisle United. It's it not. really isn't. No. Um, um, is this what I'm likely to get? Um, South Yorkshire, two teams in the city. Oh, it'll be it'll be like um, it'll be so Sheffield. Yeah. And it will. Oh, I get to choose one of them. And I'm it's the going one that always hosted FA Cup games. Hillsborough. Hillsborough. Very okay. good. So yeah, Wembley, and the most of the most southerly other stadium was Villa Park in Birmingham. Everything was north of Birmingham. That's which is quite something, actually. Yeah. Villa yeah. Park, Anfield, the City Ground, Hillsborough, St James's, Old Trafford, mm-hmm. and Elland Road. You'd have thought there would have been more than one in London, but perhaps this is to stop um, like so many people converging on the city. I think it was that that, and also I think the fact that we hadn't had a tournament since 1966, and also England always played in London, so England got London. Yeah, but it was a chance for you know the. The you know the, the the slovenly people in the sticks to get a bit of international excitement as well. Yeah, so is that, is that why Scotland played all of their ones in the southern bits? Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. We don't want you lot charging down. Um, yeah, but I mean that's. 
other than that, you would have had Stamford Bridge, which still possibly even no would would not have had terracing, but wouldn't have been big enough. Mm-hmm. Um, would Highbury have been big enough? Because it was twenty something. Um, Highbury, if you remember, they could never play any uh, European Cup games there because the pitch wasn't big oh, enough. Oh, so small, yeah. Yeah, so they couldn't have played at Highbury. Wouldn't have played at Stamford Bridge. Otherwise, London B- Berlin um, ground. Small again, probably too small. White Hart Lane, possibly, yeah. but then, but but there again, it's it's another London venue. Probably they just wanted to spread yeah. it about because it's only eight venues anyway. Mm-hmm. So give it to eight cities. Villa Park's like massive as well, Villa isn't Park's it? Huge, and yeah. um, obviously Newcastle as well as yeah, very big stadium. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, and actually, lots of them weren't even full. Sort of Old Trafford in the game between the Czechs and Russians, there's only 35,000 odd there. You know, locals and the yeah. few who had managed to travel from either of those countries. So, yeah, there you go. Anyway, like I said, very Northern Midlands tournament in, in that sense. The Czechs based themselves in Preston, bless them. And they decided they needed a warm-up game. Russ Rigby was the groundsman, club secretary, and kit man at Bamba Bridge FC. He was mowing the pitch when somebody called outside for him to come to the phone. On the other end of the line was the manager of a local hotel. Would Bamba Bridge be interested in playing the Czech Republic in a pre-tournament friendly, he asked. I told them I'd have to talk to the chairman, Dennis (laughs) Allen, to confirm it. As soon as we spoke, he said, ring back now and I'll tell him of course we would. Bamber Bridge had just won the Unibond Premier Division and should have been promoted to the conference, but were told their facilities weren't up to scratch. Good enough for the Czech Republic, but not for the conference, apparently, according to Russ Rigby. <laughs> uh, so, um, Dusan Urin, the Czech manager, he came to Iron Gate, as their ground is called, <laughs> to have a look around and told the chairman he just wanted a bit of a run out, anything too physical, and the game would be called off. Uh, to which the manager and yeah. chairman both said, that's absolutely fine. The chairman was happy to help. He just wanted the publicity, basically. Of course. And what publicity it was, national media got involved. Uh, the Times sent a reporter up. It was screened live on TV in the Czech Republic. But the <laughs> that biggest, was very Czech. But the biggest problem was beer. <laughs> <laughs> it always is. It always is. This is where it gets really bizarre. Uh, the Czech national team had an official beer supplier, which was Pilsner, Pilsner Rokel, yeah, yeah. at that point. And they had sent their own, before the phrase was a thing, pop-up bar to follow the team around where they were, excuse me, where they were playing, right? Yeah. But at Iron Gate, this tiny little ground, there was nowhere to put it. They couldn't, like, quickly re-pipe the clubhouse bar and, like, roll the barrels in and redo it because that would have meant wasting a lot of the beer and the club mm-hmm. couldn't really afford to waste sure. barrels and barrels of beer. Uh, and Paulson also wanted their own slice of the publicity action. They had a like a, a big marquee, like a big branded marquee, and they were giving away like glasses and stuff to go with everything. So they needed a place to put their marquee. The only place they could find was on the roof of the members' club, right? Because it was a flat roof. So they erected a bar and a marquee on the roof of the members' club. If you wanted a pint, you had to go up the fire escape on the outside of the building. That and get a pint ma- from the roof. That's magic. It's brilliant, isn't it? That's really good. That's <laughs> that's quite a 
That's a that's a humdinger because I thought you were going to say like based in Preston and they were going to play North End at like Deep Dale. Nothing. No. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Um, so yeah, the the game was played in front of two thousand three hundred people. Every member of the Czech squad got a run out at some point, mm-hmm. and it finished nine one to and- Bamber Bridge. <laughs> that that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. But it finished nine one to the Czechs with, and I'm going to give him a name check. He won't listen, obviously. But Mr. Steve Denny getting the consolation for Bamber Bridge uh, FC. Denny, Denny, <laughs> and um, he was quoted as saying, basically, it's given him something to talk about in the pub for the rest of his life when he scored against the Czech Republic. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a but, good story, eh? I, I like the groundsman in there. So it's like good enough for the Czech Republic, but not <laughs> not the good enough co- for the conference. conference. Has he been to Hrudim? <laughs> it's a good point, actually. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Has he been to Varnsdorf? Actually, Varnsdorf was quite a nice setup. I thought. I want to say he's probably never been to Hrudim or Varnsdorf. Yeah, I mean, he's, 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 I mean, there's an outside shot that he's, you know, did, so he won't well, get the well, chance yeah. already. Ross Rigby. Anyway, um, we're going to have another quick little break, and do you want to break the story up now, or should we continue with the story? I would I'm I would like to continue with the story. Right. Do you think that that's best? No, we, yes, I, I will happily continue with the story. We do have other things to come, of course. We've still got beer of the podcast, hot or not, and a selection of your tweets. But the story is, I'd say, about halfway done. Okay. So let's continue with the story. Right, so the groups started as expected, with Italy beating Russia 2-1, with both goals from Kazaragi beating Russia's reply from Ilya Tsimbala. Germany played the Czechs at Old Trafford, with Christian Zieger and Thomas Muller doing the damage uh, in a 2-0 win. It was then that the first warning signs from the Czechs appeared. At Anfield, the Czechs saw off the much-fancied Italy 2-1. Uh, Nedved, in only his 11th start for his country, put them 1-0 up after five minutes. Enrico Chiesa scored just over 10 minutes later, and everyone pretty much expected Italy to dominate and win from there. Radek Babel, however, had other ideas, and on 35 minutes he scored, and that was the way it stayed. Looking at the other results, it was the tournament's first real shock, to be honest. Um, Germany then set about brushing Russia aside Mm 3-0, so they were pretty much done and dusted, and it came down to the final set of games. Italy and Germany battled to a hard-fought goalless draw in Manchester. While down the road in Liverpool, the Czechs met the Russians. So it begins with Johnny Dry Sausage, mm-hmm. Jan Suchobarek, uh scoring an unmarked header from a corner, and Pavel Kuka putting the Czech Republic 2 0 up with a really bizarre looping header from a long ball. So within the first 20 minutes, that looks pretty much to be that. The Czechs hit the frame of Stanislav Cheryshov's goal twice. They could have been 4 0 up and out of sight by half time. However, looking like they were going home in disgrace after having done little of note in their previous two games, the Russians emerged for the second half like a team possessed, and in a flurry of nine second half minutes, the score was 2-2, with Mostovoy and Omari Tetranzi scoring the goals. Possessed with loads of performance-enhancing drugs. Yeah. Uh, at 2-2, the Czechs were absolutely on the back foot, rocking really badly, and although they managed to hit the post again... <laughs> Like Kabat, rocking That's really badly. Really rocking really badly. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. But at this point, the Russians looked like they'd smelled blood. And on 85 minutes, championship manager superstar Vladimir Beschasnik drove forward and thumped a powerful strike past Petr Kolba, and it looked like curtains for our heroes. 
However, with two minutes to go, a ball over the top from Kuka released Schmitzer from midfield, who guides the ball into the far corner for his first ever goal for his country. The Czechs were through on head-to-head results, having beaten Italy. They were both on four points, of course. with a win and a draw, but their head-to-head results sent them through to the quarterfinals. I will turn my page. Uh, for the quarterfinals, the Czechs drew Portugal, who had won a group also containing Croatia, Denmark and Turkey fairly comfortably, but were about to do their fairly typical for the time trick of flattering to deceive. They had most of the possession against the Czechs, but a, uh, a performance built on a solid defence and a midfield that stimmied the Portuguese uh, led them to having an awful lot of the ball, but doing very little with it, resulting in a 1-0 win for the Czech Republic. And it was Karol Pobolski's now iconic lob over the yeah. onrushing Vitor Baia <laughs> that became one of the images of the tournament. And they never really looked like losing the lead until Schalke's Radoslav Latal was sent off eight minutes from time. Uh, the Portuguese had a Spell of possession until the end. Uh, Jorge Cadete heading wide in Portugal's basically their only real chance of the second half. Um, so the Czechs, without too much of a fuss, were now in the semi-finals. Um, two of the other quarterfinals had gone to penalties, with England knocking out Spain with a famously redemptive Stuart Pearce kick, That's featuring before Miguel Angel Nadal's penalty was saved by David Seaman's elbow. Uh-huh. And France, France you're going to say, yeah, France yeah. knocking out the Dutch, uh, Clarence Zadorf, uh, uncharacteristically missing his spot kick on that shootout. Uh-huh. Um, German, uh, Germany ominously just brushing aside Croatia 2-1, not really looking that bothered about mm-hmm. anything. Um, in the semi-finals, um, well, Germany beat England on penalties with uh, waistcoats Gareth Southgate <laughs> missing for the English. The Czechs came up against France in a game that... Having watched the highlights, I can only describe as cautious from both sides. Mainly because the Czechs had a raft of players suspended. Sukhoparek was out, Latar was out, Kuka was out, Babel was out. And France were missing Didier Deschamps, who was their captain, and Christian Carambo, who had played every game mm-hmm. uh, in midfield alongside Djokaev and occasionally yeah. Zidane at this point. He bounced back, though, and now the English League Cup's named after him. <laughs> Sorry. What? <laughs> what is the English League Cup name now? Carabao Cup. Not anymore? It's, <laughs> is, is it not? Is it the it's Carabao Cup? Sure, it surely is. It is still. a Carabao Cup, yeah. I Carambo. Oh, Christian Carambo. He was good, though. He I was. like Christian Carambo. Didn't he go a bit nuts? He went a bit bonkers and started like talking to trees and stuff. Really? Or something, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he, he sort of moved to some island somewhere and yeah, went a bit weird. But he was also married to that Wonderbra woman. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, Herzegovina? Zig- no. Is it Her- no? Yeah, it, that rings a bell. Yeah. Anyway, well done, Christian. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, so, um, Sugar Pirate, Latal, Kuka, Babel missing, and Carambo and Deschamps for the French. Uh, the Czech started, as mentioned, without Pavel Kuka, and this is a massive loss as the Kaiserslautern forward had been one of their outstanding players in, uh, uh, in the tournament so far. This left a 34-year-old Radek Drulak up top on his own. I sort of assumed that Drulak was a bit of a donkey because he hadn't started or even featured in any of the previous games. But he'd been top scorer in the Czech League in the two previous seasons leading up to the finals. (laughs) Uh, He scored 22 goals leading up to Euro 96. Slavia? Uh, Petra Dunovica. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, he scored 22 goals and had got 15 the previous season. So he was absolutely on form. But he was 34 years old and he just didn't really fit a system in which the much more physical Kuka would sort of be the pivot and be surrounded by Schmitzer, Berger, Poborski sort of buzzing around him and playing off him. And because the Czechs set up in a very cagey manner, he was just chasing lost causes all game. And... For a five foot ten, thirty-four year old chasing lost causes was really not his sort of thing. Um, so the first half, Yuri Jorkayev scheming around in midfield. France hit the bar, have the better of the game generally. But Berger and Pobolski attempt to pinch a bit of life back into the Czech attack. Drulak uh, willing but struggling, uh, as was the now oddly forgotten Patrice Loco, who I remember really enjoying watching uh, in that tournament. And has sort of been kind of forgotten now, Patrice Loco. He started almost every game for France up top. And he was sort of toiling. It was basically two four five ones playing each other, which is not very pretty. Um, not a game for the purists. So almost inevitably, penalties arrived. Uh, the newfangled golden goal oh God. had, as it always would, <coughs> go against its original purpose and make things even cagier than it had yeah. been. Both sides preferring uh, ha- hashtag the lottery of penalties than you know risking actually conceding a goal i will say the standard of penalty shootouts have been incredibly high in the tournament so far and this was no exception uh neither team missed any of their first five penalty kicks <laughs> patrick Berger, bless him if you watch it back hitting his so hard that he looked like you know if you put a ball down in front of a small child and they just want to kick it as hard as possible yeah so they kind of rev themselves up yeah. run and straight leg it as <laughs> oh, hard yeah, as possible yeah, yeah. straight down that's exactly what patrick burgers looks like it's a fabulously naff <laughs> penalty but you know does the job um i'm into it yeah and uh peter colbert agonizingly seeing laurent blanc's effort sort of squirm under his body and go over the line so five penalties scored each we go up to sudden death immediately up steps Nantes midfielder renald pedros or Pedro, possibly with a silent mm. S, I don't know. In the prime of his career, at the age of 26, he'd played about 20-some times for his country before this. And his penalty was Southgate-esque. Oh, yeah. Weak, straight down the middle. No problem for Colbert whatsoever. France were out. Pedros was made a pariah by the French press and never, never played, played a competitive game for his country again. Seems to be quite a few um, players in that uh, tournament for France that you know were, had no part whatsoever in the World Cup winning team. There's a few there that you you mentioned yeah. people like um, like yeah. Blanc, Yorkaev, and stuff who were, but there was yeah others. Loco and mm-hmm. yeah people like that. Yeah, I think Carambo I think- was. I think Loco happened to be in the right place at the right time. I think he was at Metz at that point. Uh-huh. We were doing incredibly well. With their amazing dragon mascot. Yes. Yeah. And they were having a spurt of doing very, very well. I think they won a cup and they played European competition. And he and he was the boy for Metz mm-hmm. at that point. Racing just, Metz, isn't it? Or yeah, Racing. Racing. Yeah. And yeah, he sort of just know. vanished without trace, I think, which is kind of a shame. Um Anyway, on to the final where the Czechs would meet Germany. And the Czechs did what they'd done for most of the latter stages. They were organised, they were broke. They were broke? No, they were organised <laughs> and broke with speed, using Kuka as their central <laughs> so no pivot. one told you football's going to be this way. <laughs> yeah, they had a central pivot with a dynamic duo of Berger and Poborski causing the most mischief, Nedved yeah. sitting behind them pulling the strings. First half of the final as with many of the games, was a bit of a non-event. If you look back, 
It was not that exciting of a tournament for goals. And the most damning thing I can say about the final is if you look at the stats, the number of shots on goal the Czechs and the Germans both had were the number of times they scored. And the number of shots they had off target was none each. Which pretty much sums up the tournament, to be honest. It's time, that sort of stuff, though, as well. It is, yeah, because USA 94 was not a massively high-scoring tournament either. It was when France 98 turned up. For some reason, everyone went a bit mad. Goals started, yeah, Yeah. coming quite a lot. 2002 as well, was after that, was quite a a fest, I believe. I think it's it's that weird crossover between where players found they should probably start looking after themselves more than they had yeah. done. It was around Arsene Wenger's pasta revolution where players realised it probably wasn't great to go out and have 10 pints after training every day. Yeah. you know, And they started getting a bit more athletic and things like that. It, it was at that sort of cusp anyway, it was, wasn't it? Was it was all these sorts of tournaments at the time I always just think of as the sort of the penalties tournament, sort of mm. like 1994 and 96 yeah. are all ones you that I would remember more for penalties or penalty misses than I would for, you know, some like real standouts. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So like I said, yeah, the first half of the final, bit of a non-event. But uh, second half, things liven up. Uh, Matthias Zammer, uh, who will later be voted player of the tournament, brings down Kaya Poborski in the area on 58 minutes and uh, Berger, after having scored that wonderful, wonderful penalty in the semi-finals, hammers home the resulting penalty to make it 1-0. Enter, stage left, Oliver Bierhoff. Now, despite impressing with Udinese, his career had never really got going in Germany. He had done so little in his one season at Hamburg, he'd been released. He played eight games at Mönchengladbach, didn't impress there either, and looked like he was set to be one of those nearly men who sort of drift around, not quite good enough mm-hmm. for the big leagues. However, he found his way to Austria Salzburg and absolutely ripped up the Austrian league in his one season there. He scored 23 goals in 32 games, which got him a move to Ascoli in Serie B in Italy. He was their top scorer there for three straight seasons, and uh, but uh, unfortunately the team was relegated to Serie C1, and he got his move to Udinese in Serie A. And it was from there that he was added to the Euro 96 squad because he was banging them in for Udinese yeah. as well. He finally found his home. And Germany coach Bertie Vogts. Who call, me all, Bertie Mick Vogts. call me Bertie McVogts. Call me Bertie McVogts. Initially, he. <laughs> Christian! Christian! <laughs> Sorry. Initially, he didn't actually want to take Bierhoff uh, to England with the squad. It was his wife who told him, Take Bierhoff, he will repay you. <laughs> So the story that, goes. That's very much like what I often say to you in the pub as well. Take beer, I'll repay you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. When we have beer often. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> the content you need. You know, yes. Anyway, repay him. Uh, he did. Introduced for Mehmet Scholl in the 69th minute. He scored the equaliser four minutes later to take the game into extra time. Extra time comes around, and on the edge of the box in the 95th minute, Bierhoff receives the ball with his back to goal, uses all of his six foot three and all of his strength. He holds off a Czech defender, swivels, and hits a left foot effort that looked more speculative than anything. However, the ball strikes Michal Horniak, and Kolbert, who would have been right behind it, suddenly had to throw his hands out to the left. And Bierhoff's shot was just hard enough to go through his gloves 
and as Colbert turns to see what's happened, he's just in time to see it trickle across the line. And for the Czechs, that was that, with the stuffing utterly knocked out of them, it was left to Germany to see out the second 15-minute extra time period and lift the trophy. So there. What do we think? There we go. Good story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as, if, as if as if you just sort of like made up like it happened. Like Euro 96 yeah, happened. it did. So. It did happen, yeah. Um, before we go to a break and we go into some of the more regular-ish stuff, um, I just want to have a quick... Um, what became of this Czech side? Uh, well, their immensely exciting, talented midfield all got their big moves that they deserved. Poborski to Manchester United, Palm Edvard yeah. to Lazio. Patrick Berger went slightly sideways. He was already at Borussia Dortmund, but he moved to Liverpool mm-hmm. from there. Schmitzer went to France with Lens before moving onward to Liverpool to join Berger. Yeah, famously. Goalkeeper Kolba got his big move to Deportivo La Coruña. Uh, but only played four games for them, unfortunately. Played um, twice, though. Came back later and then played four games or something. Yeah, like he played four more. Mm-hmm. Um, he <laughs> failed to make a single appearance in a single season with Kaiserslautern. He found his way back and uh, finished up at... Well, he didn't finish up, at, but he came back to this country for uh, with uh, Victoria Zizkov. Yeah. Uh, Pavel Kuka remained at Kaiserslautern for one more season, then had spells at Nuremberg and Stuttgart, bringing his Bundesliga adventure to an end. Jürgen Niemetz and Radoslav Latal were mainstays of a Schalke side that won the UEFA Cup in 1996 mm-hmm. and the DFB Pokal in 2001 and players I saw live playing for Schalke at the Park Stadion in a fabulous Schalke side in, I believe, 2000, 1999 or 2000. Mm-hmm. A fantastic Schalke side featuring Eberzant, Mark Wilmots, Olaf Ton, Oliver Reck. Yeah. Lovely side. Otherwise... I think that Czech side should just be remembered as a bunch of guys who appeared as if from nowhere in a small corner of Lancashire with their own beer tent and spent a long hot summer nearly, very nearly, conquering European football. I'm speaking now. Yeah, sorry that that was a lot of me talking because I, you know, I had it all scripted out, so I wanted it to be like a proper narrative without any. Yeah, you know. it, it's usually a lot of me talking though when you know we go into to um, like what's up with you know bloody Zhishkov's formation or whatever. Um, I um, asked on Twitter about people's Euro '96 moments, and a grand total of two people got back to me. Oh, good. On this, that's nice. Um, so we have, and I'm sorry because I'm not Spanish. Um, Joaquin Diaz. Joaquin Diaz, who okay. um, who is a is a follower of us, is a Deportivo fan. Oh, brilliant. Okay. So he's Deportivo La Coruña. Um, Carpin. Um, and he writes as a Deportivo fan. Oh boy, what a dark year now. With Koba as our substitute goalkeeper for the next season, and all the kids playing as Pavel Nedved. Nice. So I thought that That's was quite cute. good. I can't believe we have a follower who's a Devil Devo fan. That's mm-hmm. incredible. We've got followers who are Borovka fans. So here's Roman, friend of the show. Yeah. Roman, who was <laughs> was going to go to the the, the final right. by car bracket Skoda favorite. Good. <laughs> And mother of my friend cooked for us a big pot of goulash, 50 servings. In the end, we didn't go because we didn't have tickets. 
<laughs> okay. And and the same year they won the um the the hockey mm-hmm. in Vienna. So nice, yeah, th- there was there were still some Czech celebrations there. Um, so shout out to um, Roman. Yes, and uh, and uh, Joaquin. Joaquin. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, we got uh, a thing on Facebook from uh, Greg. Oh yes, uh, Aitken there. Um, he says somewhere he still has a postcard of Jan Suchoparek bought from a kiosk on Cheska in 1996. That's so that's nice, isn't it? I was thinking about talking a bit about Scotland at Euro 96, but I think it's a bit too football heavy. And also it's another glorious failure by Scotland. Um, in yeah. what must have been one of the easiest qualifying groups as well. So we somehow didn't manage to balls it up as we usually do. Because we were third seeds, as usual, in the yeah. uh, qualifications. And who were the two higher seeds in us? Russia and Greece. Russia, Greece, Finland, Faroe Islands, and San Marino. Wow. And we lost once to the Greeks. Uh-huh. And sort of, we, we, we got through, I think, as fourth highest second place nice. finishers or whatever. And then it was not nice, because yet again, we went out of a tournament on fucking, you know, um, goal difference. or what. It wasn't even goal difference, it was goal scored, because we finished with the Dutch on the same grid. That's right, because... We we knackered you because we beat the Dutch, but we beat them four mm-hmm. one, and it was that goal that yeah that basically did for you. Yeah, so it was out and goal scored because we uh, we only uh, we only scored one goal, I think in the that would probably have been against Switzerland. Ali McCoy against Switzerland, yeah. good goal, really good goal actually. But that was really it for us. Mm. Good hard earned point against the Dutch, and then well, we know what happened. Because it's been done to death. Yeah. Um, about the the game at Wembley. Yeah. Though that Gaza goal is not the most annoying thing in that game at all. It's the um, the Shearer goal. Is it Shearer that scores um, from the header? Almost certainly, he was he was top scorer in the tournament. I'm yeah. shocked. Almost certainly, it was Shearer. Just uh, I I hate that goal. I hate everything about that goal. Like Neville has way too much space to cross it, and then it just like sails over um, both Colin Hendry and uh, Colin Cameron's heads. And it's just, it's just like, come on! It's just such a Scotland thing. And it's also, it's, yeah, it's also the time when, if you wanted, or sorry, if you didn't want literally anyone else in that penalty area, it was Alan Shearer because yeah. he was absolute, like, sort of from ninety six to about ninety nine was his absolute imperial period where he was just unstoppable. Well, top scorer for that tournament, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah. and I mean we, we I mean to be honest like Scott we I mean after the penalty save we were we were done for Gaza or not I think yeah momentum had just completely swung um, is it uh, is it a bad penalty or is it a really good save because I'm in the good save column I think on this one I think it's a good save as well <laughs> it's a it's a decent hit from uh, McAllister there <laughs> who I think was Currently in Coventry's employ, I think. Yes, or, he was Coventry's present, player. Yeah, presently in co- in, uh, mm-hmm. in in Coventry's and, employ. And so. That's his moment for Scotland, unfortunately. Yeah, he's missing that. So, yeah. Though, I mean, which is because what a magnificent player he was. Yeah. But. I mean, yeah. See, like, not a lot of people talk about David Seaman in that game now, but like Seaman also made like a really good save uh, from a Gordon Dury header. Uh-huh. Um, one of those ones where it, the save looks pretty good but it's actually it, if you are know a bit about goalkeeping it's a fantastic save because mm. Seaman's basically hurtling his head towards the post um, yeah very good but terrible terrible memories um, thank god I don't remember it personally you know yeah. 
Um, talking of uh, making things easier to not remember personally, beer of the podcast. Beer of the podcast sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's beer of the podcast. It's beer of the podcast. Okay, sure. I think I think we've left that long enough to put yeah. the intro in there. It's 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 pure the podcast. I say after you, forgetting that again that the music the, comes in. Yeah, there's there's music there, but it's it's in now. We're playing, so that's good. This is looking like my sort of beer, David, that you've plugged in front of it's me. It's very dark red. It's mm-hmm. it's it's almost purple in its dark yeah. reddery. <laughs> I'm, it, will I be in flavour country? Well, we'll see. It is Axiom Breweries. Sour Station Berliner Weisse beer. It's a sour, boys! And it's raspberry, so I've been told. It comes in these little tiny cans, in these 330ml cans. 4.5%. Um, expensive. Did you get it at the Axiom Bar? I did. Horribly expensive. That's where I got the... Um, that Finnish awfulness. Or, the sorry, Estonian, Estonian awfulness. Yeah. yeah. This was for two 330ml cans, this is 156 crowns, I think, for two of these little cans, so it's quite expensive. Okay. I say quite, I mean very. It's basically like buying Iron Brew here, like I treat yeah. myself to a 50 crown can here. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it look, it's very, very dark in colour, like ready, almost purple. It looks like a pint of, um, it looks like a pint of, um... I was going to say diesel, if you know that, like snake bite with black currant. That's in right, it. yeah. You call it diesel? I think we, we call it diesel. We yeah. just call it snakey bee. We, we, no, because snake bite is just because snake bite is just I think lager inside. I think if you add black currant, it's a diesel. Snakey bee. Snake, snake bite and black currant because snake bite is just <laughs> lager inside, but snake bite and black adds the black currant. We we just weren't that creative. Snakey bee. Snakey bee, unfortunately. God. If you were if you were if you were at Aston University at the turn of the millennium, then snakey bee it was. I'm afraid. Snakey. But, I mean, it's like the same sort of people that call spaghetti ball and his spag ball man. I, oh. I'd do that too. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> used, to, used to not be in English, I suppose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> chin chin. Here we go. Mmm. Smells mm. kind of odd, but. Palatable. Beautiful. I reckon. Beautiful. I like sour beers. I like Ooh, sour yeah. beers. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, mummy. Dear me. This is much more of an organic tasting thing as well. It is. It's not too much of that artificial raspberry. There's a bit of the back thing, but you're sort of getting an almost like... This will sound weird, but... In a good way, like almost this sort of composty thing in the back. It's got that. Yeah, sort of... I agree. Yeah, yeah. It tastes slightly soily. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all over that. That's beautiful. Um, do we think it will go well with, um, with Thai chili rice crackers? Mm. <laughs> this is, this get is. The, get the sound effect on the mic, David. All right. This is it because this is going to be this is going to be a party in my mouth, and everyone's invited here. All right. So it's more about your sandals than anything else. What? <laughs> All right, crunching down the microphone. I can't leave dead air while you're crunching. Crunch. So no, I can't crunch while you're crunching. So how that works. Right, this is why we have you know over ten listeners. 
12. That's great. Right, I'm gonna crunch now. Well, you got a good crunch on there. Oh, good walk. <laughs> It's just turning inside the audio version of Mukbang, isn't it? Like, yeah. it's such a, like, uh, ooh, Asian lady eats noodles. Yeah. Anyway, listeners, if you've if you've enjoyed us crunching down on our rice crackers and, and listening to us drink beer. By the way, um, uh, Jorge Cadlets, I'm not sure if that is your real name, but yeah, uh, Mr. Chap who lives in The Hague mm-hmm. in the Netherlands and listens to us who gets a craving for Czech beer every time he hears us do Beer of the Podcast, you should now be craving uh, Berliner Weisse, uh fruit sour beer and crunchy, crunchy rice crackers. And we hope you are. Gonna get some hard on knots, baby, this evening. Gonna get some hard on knots, baby, tonight. Get some hard on knots, baby, this evening. Sammy, give me hard on knots, Sammy, give me hard on knots tonight. Sammy, give some hard on knots. Dun 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 dun. What do you got? Suppose you want a hot or not? Yeah, I'd love one. All right, here's my hot this this week. It's woke football pundits, David. <laughs> so, um, so far we've seen um, Gary Neville. Yes. So Gary Neville talking about the Manchester derby and the unfortunate racism that happened there. Yeah. And blaming a lot of this on the rhetoric and hostile environment of Boris Johnson. Yes. But my favourite, and I never thought I would say this in the world, Sunes. was, did you see Sunis? I did see Graham Sunis. Good on the boy. Good on Graham, because I mean, I was, I mean, I was brought up to believe that Graham Sunis is a cunt. And... <laughs> This this decided to be brought up that way to believe that either. To be I, honest, I just, well, I mean, Sui is showing his um, his progressive side here, wh- where he is uh, standing up for the co- um, the idea of LGBT footballers and how his um, opinions and and worldview is is road to Damascus was via um, Brighton Pride. Yes, which he called a great day out. It was it was it was one of the best sort of. Sort of two minutes of TV I've seen recently. Like, like he genuinely, like he was, he was urging people who, um, who didn't understand. I think yeah. people who were LGBT or didn't or, or didn't have any interaction with them mm-hmm. to just come down and experience Pride and get involved and yeah. get to know the people. And he said it was brilliant and and an eye opening experience and. Mm-hmm. Something that he never considered and would thoroughly encourage people to do. You should go to a Pride, by the way. If you yeah. haven't gone to a Pride before, you should go because it's always a good day out. The Glasgow one is usually very good. Um, I've never been to the Pride in Prague yet, but it should also be quite good. But yeah, so absolutely in, spot on Suey there. In a, in a week, especially where British media and journalism has been nothing short of an absolute fucking cesspool. Mm-hmm. That was actually a little bit of like bright lights there, and I cannot wait until this election is over. Uh, yeah, both both Suey and Neville doing the Lord's work. Mm-hmm. The excellent stuff from both of them. Yeah, yeah. good stuff. Um, I've got hot. Good. Uh, Timo Bakayoko. Uh-huh. Do you know this? We're going to have to say it for the... Well, this is a very good one. He is on loan from Chelsea at Monaco. Mm-hmm. He had a year at Chelsea where he 
He was brought in to be the yin to uh, N'Golo Kante's yang a couple of years ago. It hasn't really worked out for him. So he is back on loan at Monaco where they had previously taken him from, you know, and is getting back to his best. Um, He had previously worn shirt number 14 at Monaco and at AC Milan and at Chelsea. And uh, Monaco playing, I think, Nîmes possibly this weekend. Um, And they wanted to sub off uh, Keita Balde, who is the actual number 14. However, Bakayoko sees the number comes up, um, applauds the fans, jogs towards the bench, <laughs> only to be met with a load of bemused smiles and what the hell are you doing here? His shirt number is now number six. Fantastic. Um, so yes, and laughs all around <laughs> and everybody enjoyed a big bowl of jelly and ice cream afterwards. <laughs> so that was a very, it was, a, it's, it's like, it, it's a very cute 30 seconds yeah. of footage if you can find it. It's just everyone going, what the hell are you doing over here? You're not number 14. Give that man a glass of syrup. Yeah, it was great. That's my hot. I just really enjoyed it. hot. I like that. I like that. Um, this is a football podcast, so it took every bone in my body for my not to not be Laura Koonsberg. <laughs> um, Google it. <laughs> and once you've done that you can also google pest and don't um, alright so my not is the world anti-doping agency yes um, David um, because wada wada hey hey wada wada hey hey um, I want to I know I'm going to come over as a bitter Scot here it's not just because if Russia were you know going to get kicked out or whatever Morally, I feel Scotland as being the third in that group should um, should go to the Euros. Um, the two most glorious words in the English language default. Um, it's it's I just can't get over this. Like how UEFA and and the European Championships are not seen as a major event, and thus Russia are allowed yeah. to compete. Like the World, the Cup, World Cup, they're out. They're out. Yeah. Olympics out. Yeah, for 2020, not out. And do you know what's the worst thing about this? Again, I know I'm coming over bitter, but um, the president of WADA, Craig Reedy, is from fucking Sterling. <laughs> sort of patriots this. Sort of patriots this. <laughs> you, you had one job, Craig. It was to get Scotland in by hooker by fucking crook. And you even didn't do that. And this basically is why Tories are going to start running Scotland because we're all fucking useless. Do you want that, Craig? Do you want that? You probably do, but no. Raging. Absolutely raging at that. This public service announcement was brought to you by Sam Beaton political... <laughs> Bought and paid for by the Sam Beaton for Government Governmental Initiative. This is it, man. Talk about Russians interfering in the election, man. Like, <laughs> honest to God. God. Oh, wow. As someone far more famous than me once said, or once wrote, it's shite being Scottish. <laughs> Who wrote that? I'd say a lot of Scots. <laughs> uh, Irvin Welsh, right? Ah, right, so. Um, train okay. spotting. Right, yeah, so, yeah, that's, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, please vote out the Tories. Please fucking vote yeah. out the Tories. Man. If you're listening to this and have any sway in the UK, Tories out. It doesn't matter who. Just like not not liking the people who could get in doesn't mean you can't utterly dislike the people who are in now. Here, here. Just there. There might not be a. You might not think there's a good choice, but there is a worse choice. Yeah. And that's what we have to get rid of. Can I have a very 10-second bonus knot? Go on. 
Glasgow City Council's Electoral Commission for yet again fucking up my postal vote, which has not arrived. So I'm not going to be able to vote in this election. And I was also unable to vote in the fucking Scottish independence referendum because they can't send a fucking ballot over to the Czech Republic. David, did you get your postal vote? I did, yes. Case in point. Case in point. Sorry. Yes, um, Reading Borough Council, very good. And um, uh, Matt Rodder has already received via Reading Borough Council my vote. So there we go. Hashtag Tories out. So next time, like it, honestly, if you live quite far away from Britain, reasonably, like proxy might be the way to go, depending on your local authority. Yeah. Next time. Uh, anyway, we'll move from the politics <laughs> podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. back. While I decompress over here. <laughs> For one very quick knot, which is my final knot before we have our playout yeah. song, my knot is Ipswich Town. <laughs> sick of playing them already. Fucking sick of them. Absolutely <laughs> sick of them. We had them December the 1st at home, 1-1 yeah. uh, in the FA Cup. We had them a week later, 1-1 at home in the league. Yeah. We've got them tonight at Portman Road Again. for the FA Cup replay. <laughs> I think oh, the replay, of course, yeah. That'll be 1-1, probably. <laughs> well, I mean, well done for, like, 94th minute, I think it was, yeah. equaliser? Yeah. Chris, uh, no, it was um, Max Max Biamu. Oh, okay. Again. Um, but, yeah, just absolutely sick of them. Sick of the sight of them. Um, we get them again March 7th away for the return yeah. league <laughs> fixture. Yeah. Like, that is honestly, like, a not generally, though, is you know when you have, like, the cup and you get drawn against a team in your league, especially in Scotland, because um, Cali Thistle have played Aloha, I think, four times already. They have to play them, like, another two, four, three times before the end of the season. Uh-huh. But, like, nonsense. They got drawn in, like, they got drawn in the Challenge Cup and in the Scottish Cup. Yeah. Right. Anyway, um, that's it. Thanks for listening. We will have um, a number of uh, specials coming your way over the course of the festive wintry period. So, uh, yeah, stick around, uh, listen in, uh, tell your friends, like, subscribe, etc. and so forth. We're on all the audio channels, um, Audio Boom and SoundCloud and Pod Things and etc. And we're on uh, at Facebook, uh, at Sparovcast on Facebook and Twitter. So that'll be it. We're going to play you out with a bit of this magnificent thing suggested by a friend of the show, Barovera Zakova. So thanks for that. And and is this going to be our last um, pod before Christmas? Well, I that will depend on what we can be bothered with. The next one will be with you when it's with you, I think. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, if we don't see you, Merry Christmas. And if we do... Merry Christmas twice. Yes. Bye. 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 Mezi námi je mnoho chvil A pokusů, abych se ti zavděčil Jenomže od tebe se člověk moc nerozví Stále básníš o nějakém svém záhadném čendovi Je toho moc a to já nesnesu Zašel jsem na čendovu adresu A čenda před domem zpíval rock'n'roll Pro dívky, které se tam denně zkází Cestou z různých škol Podívej, mám styl čendy Nevím, kde ho Čenda vzal, já ho sebral od něho a on si ho moc nehlídal. Mám styl Čendy, je to pikantní, a chceš-li něco nového, tak já jsem navíc galantní. Mám styl Čendy, mám styl Čendy. Čendovi už 
dochází rakendo, já jsem před ním nejméně o 20 kol, ta hudba stává se mi zábavnou, jestli mě kápeš, nejsem šenda, já tě chci chápavou. Podívej, mám styl šendy, nevím, kde ho čenda vzal, já ho sebral od něho, a on si ho moc nehlídal. Mám styl šendy, je to pikantní, chceš mi něco malého, tak já jsem navíc galantní. Shandy!